morning everyone before we turn to God's word uh, we need God's help to understand it we're going to look at quite a well an important very important passage and a complex one and I've wrestled with it since I was asked to speak on Wednesday so let's just seek God's help as we come to him now and see if it sounds like I'm booming away a little somewhere Amy I don't know exactly where but we'll get that sorted during the prayer maybe as we pray let's pray Gracious God, our Father, we thank you for your word, which meets all of our needs. We thank you for your spirit, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And therefore, we pray as we look into your word that it might bring hope to us, clarity of mind and understanding, and that it might direct our will to walk in your ways and to lead lives that are pleasing to you, reflecting that hope that we have in a world that is without hope and without God. So help me and help each one of us, we pray. May Jesus be glorified. Amen. Amen. Well, this is a unique occasion for me. In over 40 years of ministry, this is the first time I've been asked to preach because of a volcano. Uh, But this is indeed... A unique occasion for everyone, is it not? Who would have believed that a volcano erupting in Iceland would close the airspace over Britain for over a week, grounding all the planes and disrupting the plans of countless travelers, including our senior pastor? It is a salutary reminder that sadly few will heed that we are not in control of everything. And what is true on a large scale is also true on a small and personal scale that we are not masters of our own destiny. There are personal volcanoes that erupt without warning into our lives, throwing our best laid plans into confusion. Maybe that's true of someone here this morning. But whatever may befall us, We at least cling to the lifeboat, the life belt, on which are written the words, where there's life, there's hope. But what hope is there where there is no life? Where the threat of death intrudes into our lives? That is a reality some of us have faced in the past. Some are facing now. And some of us, probably most of us, will at some time face in the future. Suddenly and unexpectedly, for such is the nature of volcanoes. Only this Thursday we received, Nita and I received the sad news that a young mother in our first church died, leaving a children husband behind. So today I want to look at a story, the true story of a family who faced such a situation and discovered, as we can, that where there's death, there's hope. So you'll find the story in the Bible. It really is, if you're going to try and follow this and stay with me, you really need a Bible in front of you with the passage in front of you because we're going to read it in sections and with God's help try and understand what we are meant to learn from it and put into practice. So you'll find it in John 11, verses 1 to 44. It's page 1077 in the Pew Bibles. What I want to try and do is to trace the story in three stages and read it in sections. Three stages in 
through which we may pass in similar circumstances. So, for those who like alliteration, uh, here's the first word and the first emotion. That of consternation. Let's read verses 1 through 4. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now the words happy family have been much used and abused and sadly for many people they are limited to an old game that we used to play as children, a card game. But in this case the words happy family are truly applicable. In the little village of Bethany, some two miles east of the city of Jerusalem, lived a happy family in a spacious home. Two sisters, Martha and Mary, and a brother whose name was Lazarus which is a shortened form of the Hebrew name Eliezer, which means appropriately, as we'll see in the story, the one whom God has helped. We don't know the circumstances, but these three became acquainted with a remarkable person, Jesus of Nazareth. A remarkable teacher, wonderful miracle worker. However, rather than travel with his other followers around Israel, they stayed in their home in Bethany, and provided a haven for Jesus and his disciples whenever they were in the area. It was a haven to which Jesus and those 12 men he had chosen could withdraw from the relentless demands of the crowds and the increasing hostilities of the religious leaders. John reminds us here that this Mary is the one who anointed uh, the, f the head of Jesus with perfume. And he doesn't actually introduce us to the story till the next chapter, till chapter 12. These three then, imagine them, Martha, Mary, Lazarus, were among the privileged few who could truly be called friends of Jesus. Those he held in special affection. A happy family then, in every sense of the word, until one day they were hit suddenly by a family crisis with which John introduces this chapter. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. Again, we don't know the details, but I would imagine at first it only seemed a small cloud on the horizon. But the cloud darkened and deepened as the illness worsened. The doctors were no doubt sent for, but all their treatment was to no avail. Lazarus began to sink fast. And naturally, these two sisters were concerned for their brother, but not in total despair. Martha and Mary knew from first-hand reports that their friend Jesus was able to heal the sick. However, in the face of serious threats on his life, he had recently left Jerusalem, if you look at the previous chapter, verse 4, and gone back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. Now, there's a lot of scholarly debate about exactly where this was. But I'm going to stay with recent, recent thinking that it was probably located over the other side of the Jordan, around 100 miles northeast. So, Lazarus is sick, urgent action is required, and they dispatch a messenger with an emergency message to Jesus. Verse 3, 
So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. You could describe this as a telegram prayer. One where every word counts. Some prayers, if you listen to them, are like short stories or even novels. Uh, some are like postcards. Uh, but telegrams don't discuss the weather, though, like a postcard, they might say, as in this case, wish you were here. But Jesus is not here. So Mary and Martha send their urgent message to him. Just seven words in English, just five words in the original Greek in which it's written. Uh, the note of urgency is indicated by a word which isn't translated in our version before us. It's a kind of exclamation mark. You could translate it as, look, help. In the old version of the Bible, if you've got one, it's something like, lo, or behold. And the message that they sent to Jesus contains hope. For it tells us the sisters are sure about two things. Look more closely. First of all, the word Lord indicates that they believe Jesus is able to help. The word translated Lord here can simply mean sir, term of respect or master. But probably here I think it's more for Mary and Martha have come to understand that Jesus is no ordinary man. He is in fact the Lord, the Son of God. And added to this, the words, the one you love, indicates not only that Jesus is able to help, but secondly, that Jesus is willing to help. Now, notice carefully, they do not say, Lord, the one who loves you is sick. No doubt that was true. But that's not the grounds of their appeal. It's often in these circumstances, the grounds of appeal of the person who has no real relationship with God or understanding of his character. And so when something like this happens, such a person will, in my experience, appeal to their own merits or the merits of the person that they want help from. God help him. He's a good man. He's never done anyone any harm. He's never bothered you before. I've never bothered you with anything before. So now I'm asking you to help him. The inference is, God, you owe me something. I, he, must have some credit in the bank of heaven that he can withdraw in because he's never cashed anything in before. Never made a withdrawal. But the one who really understands the one true God, the one who really understands himself or herself knows otherwise. Such a person knows that he or she has no credit whatsoever in the bank of heaven, that we are deeply in the red, apart from God's grace. So Mary and Martha do not say, Lord, think of all the hospitality you've enjoyed in our home. Think of all the free meals we've cooked. Think of all the beds we've made. Lord, you owe us a favor. Please help our brother. No, it is not my love for God which will avail, but his love for me. And that is what Mary and Martha know. That's why they send this telegram prayer very simply, Lord, the one you love is sick. Notice they don't even make any requests or specific demands. They simply state the facts. Lord, the one you love is sick. Surely the power of Jesus and the love of Jesus, when matched with their brother's sickness, will result in his restoration to health. Even in the face of a poor medical prognosis, they are hopeful. And surely they are even more hopeful with the response of Jesus to their message, which seems to offer reason for hope. Look at verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, 
so that the Son may be glorified through it. Now, if the story stopped here, you would expect Lazarus to make a speedy recovery and the chapter would end with the words, and they all lived happily ever after. But things are not that straightforward as we discover. As we read on, and what I want to suggest in the next stage as we read on, consternation is replaced with confusion. Let's read on uh, from verse 5. And we'll read through to verse 21 and then pause again for a moment. A long moment. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you were going back there? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he'd said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let's also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary, Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, let's just trace through this because it's very important. And what I want to say are there around about six or seven causes of confusion at this point in the story. The first is created by the decision of Jesus when he gets the news to stay where he is for two more days. If you look at the NIV, how it translates it, it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days days. Uh, in his commentary on John, Don Carson, it's a brilliant commentary if you want a good commentary on John, points out that the NIV has translated this without any justification, added the word yet, when, as if the two day of delay of Jesus was some kind of contradiction of his love for them. Rather, a literal translation makes it clear that the two day delay is a sign of the love of Jesus. Let's retranslate. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When, therefore, he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, surely the inference for the disciples and the messenger who now leaves with this message back for Mary and Martha must be that Jesus delays because the sickness of Lazarus is non-urgent. They, as so often do we, fail to understand how the response of Jesus to our requests especially especially his seeming delays and apparent inactivity is compatible with his love for us. Let me say it again. It's a long sentence. They, as so often do we, fail to understand how the response of Jesus to our requests, especially his seeming delays and apparent inactivity, is compatible with his love for us. 
And then after two days, the disciples get even more confused because Jesus then decides to return to Judea. Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. The disciples remind Jesus that they've just left Judea because of threats on his life, so a return would be a return to danger. Jesus assures them he is not walking into danger in the dark. He is fully in the light. Everything is under control. He is returning to Judea for a clear purpose, which then becomes another cause for confusion. He says, I'm returning to Judea to wake Lazarus up. Look at verse 11. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And now they become even more confused about the nature of the sleep of Lazarus. Verse 12, his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. The metaphor of sleep for death is a common one, but the disciples take it naturally. They think Lazarus is sleeping off the fever, whatever is wrong with him, and Jesus is going to Bethany to wake him up. But the words of Jesus now shatter their illusions and provide a final and devastating cause for confusion, the recent death of Lazarus. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. The form of the verb in the original there can refer to something which has just happened. Literally, Lazarus has just died. Jesus receives from his father information that he's been waiting for. He's been waiting for Lazarus to die. Is that not confusing? Was it not confusing if you'd been there? And surely Jesus had just said, this sickness will not end in death. And now that it has ended in death, why didn't Jesus leave immediately? And why does Jesus say he was glad he wasn't there? And if the disciples are confused, how much more those most affected, Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus? If, as seems likely, the journey was a hundred miles away, in those days it would take you about four days to get there, and the four days is very important. So although we're given no direct information, let, let's just kind of trace this. The messenger arrives and he says to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. He sends the message. And Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. And he goes back home, all right? Takes him four days to get there. No doubt it's a long journey, four days here, four days back. But he's, he's got good news. Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. He arrives back four days later to discover that Lazarus has been dead and buried for two days. Maybe you remember that story which John also records in chapter 4 when a royal official came to Jesus for his son who was at death's door. And Jesus had just simply said the word and he'd gone back home and when he got back home he discovered he'd made a complete recovery just at the moment Jesus spoke it. Healed at a distance. So here he is, tired and exhausted, nonetheless hopeful. He arrives back with the good news for Mary and Martha. Jesus says this sickness will not end in death, only to discover that Lazarus was dead and buried two days ago. So no wonder when Jesus and the disciples arrive at Bethany two days later, four days after the death and burial of Lazarus, Mary and Martha go out to Jesus to greet him outside the village. And they each have an identical thing to say to Jesus which focuses on another cause for confusion the absence of Jesus Lord they said individually if you had been here 
my brother would not have died. No doubt as they sat at the bedside of their sick brother, they said again and again to each other, if only Jesus were here. And maybe they'd said to each other, perhaps today he'll come. But he'd failed to show up until four days too late. So no wonder they were confused about Jesus. Either his word was unreliable, he couldn't be trusted, or his love was fickle, he wouldn't help, or his power was limited, he couldn't help, or all three. Now, if that is not confusing, I don't know what is confusing. A personal, I want you to, I hope we've got our minds in the minds of these two sisters. A personal tragedy has shaken their whole belief system in Jesus. That is what's so distressing. It's bad enough to face the sudden death of a loved one. But even worse, when the one person you believed could help and who seemed to promise to help did not, could not, or would not. No wonder they're confused and hurt. And I pause to say, I wonder if you've ever been confused like that. Maybe today you are in a state of confusion at this very moment in your life. Maybe you're a Christian today and a crisis has arisen in your life. It may be sickness or sorrow or disappointment or whatever. And as a child of God, you've instinctively sent off a telegram prayer on your own behalf or that of another person. Lord, the one you love is sick. It's a prayer that says, Lord, I know your power. I know your love. And the answer comes back from God's word that seems to offer hope. But then what you feared most happens. Worst of all, Jesus doesn't show up. He seems to be absent. You are thrown into confusion. Is Jesus who he claims to be? Is his word reliable? Is he powerless? Does he really love me? If so, why did he allow this to happen? I said it may be happening to you now. It may have happened to you ten years ago and you've never come to terms with it. You still come to church. But you've still never come to terms with that issue. If you're sitting there and don't know anything about this, store it in your mind. It may happen in the future. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. These are no easy matters. I was fascinated reading C.H. Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, preached on John 11, verse 14 and 15. His title was, A Mystery, Saints Sorrowing and Jesus Glad. And he reads, he actually mentions about preaching on it. Listen to this, it's very interesting. He said, he was preaching on this theme as a young pastor in his early days of ministry. He says, my venerable grandfather was sitting in the pulpit behind me. He suddenly rose up, took my place. Coming to the pulpit, he said, my grandson can preach this as a matter of theory. But I can tell you it's a matter of experience. For I've done business upon the great waters. And I've seen the works of the Lord for myself. Some of you have walked that valley. Some are even now passing through the dark night of the soul. All that you hoped for and trusted in is shaken. And the heavens seem like brass. It's one thing to theorize about it. It's one thing to preach about it. 
it's another thing to live through it and behind it all as we come to the point here's the greatest fear of all that life is without purpose and that death really is the end of everything the only thing that will bring reassurance and hope is the assurance that after all someone is in control not just of life but of death that where there's death there's hope and this is what the story of Lazarus is all about for the confusion in the minds of Mary and Martha and the disciples is finally replaced by clarification let's read on let's just start again at verse 21 and follow the story with me Martha comes out to Jesus verse 21 Lord Martha said to Jesus if you'd been here my brother would not have died but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask Jesus said to her your brother will rise again Martha answered I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day Jesus said to her I am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die do you believe this Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? As Jesus enters this scene, of great grief and confusion he acts to clear the confusion in the minds of Mary and Martha and all of us who will believe in him and believe his word Jesus does this by demonstrating two things first his love that he's willing to help secondly his power that he's able to help first of all Jesus demonstrates his love first of all by the assurance he gives Notice that conversation between Martha and Jesus when she hurries out to meet him. Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha believes, as every pious Jew did, in a future resurrection. But Jesus offers her present tense far more as he makes this astounding claim Jesus said to her I am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die do you believe this her answer shows that she believes in Jesus yes Lord she told him verse 27 I believe you are the Christ the Son of God who was to come into the world but she doesn't understand the implications of what Jesus is actually saying but she shortly will then Mary, obeying the request of Jesus, conveyed by her sister, comes out to meet Jesus and says the identical thing, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus sees her and the other mourners weeping, we see that Jesus further demonstrates his love by the emotion he shows. 
When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews would come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. The words translated deeply moved and troubled are very powerful words in Greek. They're actually the words used of a horse snorting in anger. There is anger on the part of the Son of God as he looks at the devastating effects of sin and death in the world. Intruders into the world that God made that was perfectly good. There is grief and sympathy with those who suffer. The effects of living in a fallen world. Especially in that face of death. And the grief it brings. And the loss of hope it brings. And when Jesus sees the place where Lazarus is laid. This is further poignantly expressed in the shortest verse in the Bible. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. The word wept is not the Greek word used of a quiet sob in a handkerchief that dabs the corner of the eye. It is an expressive act. He burst into tears. Such is the compassion of the one who is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief in the face of death. Here is compelling evidence the sisters and disciples and anyone else including us should be in any doubt about the love of Jesus that he really cares that he's able that he's willing to help it is an expression of the love of the Savior our Muslim friends believe in Allah Akbar the transcendent great powerful God they know nothing of a God who suffers with us who weeps with us He's willing to help. But the question is, but can, can he help? And that's what the onlookers question. Then the Jews said, see how he left him. Yes, evidence. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? But in the dramatic events which follow, we see that Jesus also demonstrates not only his love, but his power. Let's read on the fantastic words that follow. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out. If that is not a contradiction in terms, I don't know what is. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and the cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes. Let him go. Now in John's gospel, if you follow this wonderful gospel, the disciples and the reader have learned that Jesus is the bread of life who can feed the hungry. He is the water of life who can satisfy the thirsty. He is the light of life who can give light to the blind. But what about death? In this seventh and final and greatest sign in John's Gospel, Jesus demonstrates that he is the life itself. He is the resurrection and the life. He has already raised a son and a daughter.
from the dead, the son of a widow from the town of Nain, the daughter of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. But now he will raise a brother from the dead, a sign of hope for all who will become his brothers through faith in him, who is not ashamed to call them his brothers. Hebrews 2. This is a far greater miracle than the other two, for they were raised on the same day when they died. It was current belief that the soul of a dead person remained near the body for three days after that decomposition set in and the soul departed for good for death was then irreversible and that is why Martha hesitates to obey Jesus when he says roll the stone away she says he's been there four days decomposition set in he'll stink but Jesus challenges her to believe the word he gave her. And so the stone is rolled away. And for the benefit of the listening crowd, Jesus prays to his father and demonstrates his power by raising a dead man. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face. And not just raising a dead man, but raising a dead man who has been dead after four days. You see... The raising of Lazarus is the greatest miracle in the Gospels, apart from the raising of Christ. Showing that even decomposition of the body is not beyond the resurrection power of Jesus. And in order to demonstrate it, now we clear the confusion. That's why Jesus stayed where he was for two more days, waiting to hear that Lazarus had died. Getting the divine signal. Only then does he set out to back to Bethany where he will finally arrive four days seemingly too late when decomposition has set in. To Martha and Mary, the fact that Jesus stayed where he was for two days might suggest that he didn't love them. But the delay is a sign of his love. Back to verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and his sister Lazarus. When therefore he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. God's seeming delays are always motivated by his love. That is also why Jesus says to the disciples, he was glad he was not there when Lazarus was sick and dying. Lazarus is dead and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. So that you may believe. He was not glad because of the anguish they suffered. And the sisters who suffered sorrow and bereavement. But he was glad for the greater miracle that would be displayed through the raising of Lazarus. This would be a benefit, not just to Lazarus, but to each one of us here who will believe in the same Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is the resurrection and the life. Finally, the confusion is cleared. And they and we understand the reply of Jesus to the prayer request, the meaning of the miracle. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. This miracle is not meant to teach you that Christians never get sick and die. After all, Lazarus was unique in being raised from the dead. He was also unique in dying a second time and not being raised from the dead. Sometime in the future. Rather, this great miracle points to the great truth that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And it points forward. If you want to know more, listen to Mark Dever's preaching on the, the verses that follow, I think in February in the chapel. It points forward to his own resurrection and death. Death and resurrection. And the certainty that it brings of that great day when the dead in Christ will be raised with resurrection bodies like His. For even the dissolution of the body is no problem to the Savior who is the resurrection and the life. The 
This is the great hope. The time is coming when the dead will be raised. And we shall be forever with the Lord. And those who have come before us, who have died, are with Christ, which is better by far. And only the Christian has this hope. And Jesus demonstrates it's a reality by raising a man who's been dead in the grave for four days. Now, here's the conclusion. And it's a question for each one of us here. Final question. It's the question Jesus put to Martha and he puts to each one of us. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Will live forever. Eternal life. Now here's the question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe him? Because only if you believe this, only if you believe in him, can you say and know where there's death, there's hope. So in that confidence, let's come to him in prayer. Let's pray together.